Hello and welcome to another episode of Strike, the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast with a British twist. I'm your host, P-Dubs, as always, and this episode we are getting in the uh, the DeLorean uh, and heading back <laughs> to the year 2000. Um, joining me on this trip, despite the fact that the DeLorean only has two seats, there is actually three people joining me tonight, and I can welcome back our stragglers missing from the last episode after they couldn't be bothered to go and see the film on time. <laughs> First of all, we have young Joshua Riley. Oh, uh, yeah. And then the two old geezers of the podcast, who, who remember the year 2000 quite clearly. Uh, first of all, we have Craig Lucas. I've been to the year 2000. Oh, it was 2000, was it? It doesn't matter. <laughs> Wait, and, someone to do that? And last but not least, uh, the man who normally turns up, but didn't make it in time last time, Mr. Tony Bufton. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> People uh, will get that as, as the podcast goes on, I hope. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so before, we, before we take our trip back, I, I am going to say thanks to Nick for filling in on the last episode. As I said, no one else had managed to see it in time, so we did, did manage to scrape Nick in and to help us out. So thanks, Nick. Um, so, as I said, we are taking a, a trip back in time to to the millennium. Um, millennium, uh, to quote Robbie <laughs> Williams. Um, and we're we're gonna we're gonna look at something outside the MCU, um, more or less for the at first the time. At the moment, yeah. This is the first time we've for now. Of, for now, yeah. <laughs> This is the first time we've kind of taken an in-depth look at something that isn't part of the MCU. We've talked about some news, like with Venom and, and some of the TV shows, like The Gifted and, and Legion and, and so on. But we are going to go back and take a look at the first X-Men film um, from 2000. Um, just going to give a, a little bit of background on it, first of all, because it wasn't the first attempt at an X-Men movie. Um, they never got made, but... It all started back in 1984 when when Marvel sold off the rights. The year I was born, so it goes a, a long way back. Wow, um, that's a long way back there. And the, fir- the first screenplay was actually written by two comic book writers, um, mm. in Jerry Conway and Roy Thomas, and it was it was being made for Orion Pictures. Oh wow! Um, yeah. Before they went bust, uh, they were in the process of of writing their script, and and the company fell into financial troubles same same as Marvel had previously and the reason why Marvel had sold off the rights was because they were struggling for money um, then moving on to about five years later 89-90 um, Stan Lee and, and Chris Claremont who was who was running Marvel at the time and was writing a lot of the, the X-Men comics um, were in discussions with Carl Co Pictures uh, I think that's how you say it um, and they actually looked at again, Carol Coe, yeah. yeah, someone that we've we've spoken about looking at, at superhero movies. I know I spoke to Jim Hill about this this gentleman, and and James Cameron was going to produce it um, with his then wife Catherine Bigelow to direct, um, which is amazing to think. Back then, it was it was before Titanic had come out. Obviously, after the the first Terminator had come out, um, so it wasn't an unknown. Uh, territory for him. He'd, he'd had a big, big hit, 
Um, this is where it gets interesting because they actually started to look at who they were going to cast. Um, so someone that's turned up recently in in, in the MCU, uh, Angela Bassett, uh, was, looked at, was looked at for Storm. Oh, so, wow. So it's quite appropriate that she should be in a film that's kind of connected to Storm later on in her, in her career. Um, but the, the, the really interesting one was who they were looking at for Wolverine. Uh, and that was Bob Hoskins. No yeah. way. Really? Yeah. He he was the right stature. That's that's the thing. If you looked at him, I know he was a comic actor, but he had the right stature at the time. Mm. He was built like Wolverine is in the comics. So mm. it's not a... Yeah, he's a little bit rounder, isn't he, if you see him in some of the comic pages. Yeah. He's on some of the comics. Yep. And, and I can see that. Yeah. Yep. And then interestingly... That fell apart due to the fact that Stanley actually got James Cameron interested in in the the aforementioned Spider-Man film um, that I talked about with with Jim Hill when mm. he came on. Um, so that that kind of fell apart, and it was another couple of years. And again, they moved on to someone else, and they they spoke to Columbia Pictures about about taking the X-Men uh, series uh, of characters, but again, that didn't happen. And, and this is interesting because then um, Avi Arid moved on. He was he was working as a producer for for Marvel Comics at that point, and and still kind of is in a way. He, he works for Sony now and is still working on the the, the Spider-Man pictures as such and and some of the animated stuff. Um, but he produced something that our next episode is going to touch on, uh, and that's the animated series. Um, mm. Started at that point, and and that actually triggered. The, the 20th Century Fox interest in, in the live action series um, and Lauren Shula Donner then purchased the rights a, a couple of years after that in 1994 oh, really? um, so it kind of it kind of flip flopped about for a, for a good 10 years before mm. anybody actually took a full crack at it and it was again as I said another 6 years before the film actually came to fruition so they wrote, wrote a script that, that featured a lot of the characters that, that we know, that we saw in that first film. It also featured some of the ones we've met along the way as well. Um, so we got the, the Wolverine, as we'd expect, Cyclops, Jean Grey, Iceman, Beast, who, we, who was in the original script and got cut for um, production reasons. It was too costly to make at that time. Um, to produce uh, another character that we met in in later sequels, Angel. Um, we saw uh, another character, one that's uh, isn't particularly loved from his his later versions in the film was Juggernaut, who was later portrayed by Vinnie Jones, uh, mm. and and the Blob as well that was in Wolverine Origins. Oh yeah, um, was included in that original script, and also uh, Peter Dinklage's character. Uh, Bolivia Trust oh, yeah. was included in the original script. Now, that original wow. script was written by Andrew Kevin Walker, um, and again, didn't really go anywhere, um, and got rewritten again. Um, it eventually came to that they'd got a script that they they kind of liked, and they started looking at directors, and, and interestingly, a name that appeared further on and and kind of ruined the franchise for a while. Um, Brett Ratner was actually looked at originally. 
and he would come along later. Um, but he wasn't offered the job at the time. They actually offered it to Robert Rodriguez, um, who turned it wow. down. He actually turned it down at the time. Um, and that's when they moved on to, to Brian Singer. Uh, and I know we don't particularly go into political stuff and, and some of the stuff that's going on around the world, and especially someone like Brian Singer. We're not going to talk about what's happened. This is about this film, and, and that's it, and, and what he did for the yeah. film. So, so moving on swiftly, we, we're not going to talk about the problems that he's had recently. Um, Fox actually offered him Alien Resurrection. Um, and he didn't want to do it. He, um, it was felt that the producer would be, he would be more suited to, to that, the X-Men film. So he was actually offered that and, and he took it well, in, 19, right, yeah. in 1996, he took it. So it was, it was still four years before the film came out. So he was working on it for, for a good four years. So you can kind of see why he stuck with that franchise for so long. Um, mm. paid off really, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly, and and the fact that he was still working on that that franchise up until only what a year ago, yeah, um, is is telling as to to how good a pick that was for him. Um, so he took a crack at the scripts. Um, they they liked it, but it still needed reworking. So eventually, um, the screenplay was was written by David Hayter. Uh, who's now showrunning Legion. So, again, another one that's been with the franchise for so long. Yeah. It's just... It's an unbelievable thought that that these characters and these actors have all stuck along. Um, another another person talking of the, the story treatments, Joss Whedon actually took a crack at it as well. Uh, somewhere yeah, along the way. What are bloody names going around with this? Trying to get this off the... It's yeah. all into the air, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and another character that was cut due to due to budget reasons was, was Nightcrawler, who would later appear in the sequel as well. Um, so it really did did take some, some work um, but, over the years to actually get it set up. Um, I think one of the problems we maybe had, because you, you're looking in the back mid mid-90s where... Superhero films that sort of nosedived a little bit. I think the last two Batman, Batman, over at, Batman films over at Warner didn't do very particularly well, did they? Yeah. And uh, it was almost a little bit of box office poison, I suspect, to try and get another franchise off the ground. Yeah. So, moving on to, to the, the, the finalised casting, um, let's start with, with some of the, a couple of the characters, a couple of the big names. Um, so, Ian McKellen wasn't originally considered. Um, he originally wanted Terrence Stamp to play that role. Oh, um, I could see that. Uh, yeah, I could. Um, so, that was quite interesting. That, there was also Storm. They, they looked at Janet Jackson for Storm yeah. when they were first starting mm. on it. Michael was bloody Spider-Man as well. He yeah. wanted to buy the rights for Spider-Man. So he just did. Really yeah. Uh, Anna Paquin actually dropped out of another film. To be an X Men, oh. um, she was in a film. She was meant to be in a film called Tart, of all things, <laughs> um, which is a bit strange. Um, it was weird. Cyclops went through a couple of different actors over the the years that that Brian Singer was in charge. James uh, Caviezel is that? I'm sure that's not how you say it. Um, Everyone butchers that name. Don't worry yeah. about it. 
Um, he was originally cast. They also looked at Eric Mabius um, to play that role, who obviously went on to be in Ugly Betty. He became a big name via that. Ah, uh, sure. Thing from, yeah. um, and James Marsden was, actually didn't know the character when he took the role. Um, but once he read the comic box, he was, he was very interested and, and took the role. Patrick Stewart was always first choice to play uh, Professor X. Um, he was in a, a Brian Singer film called Conspiracy Theory a couple of years beforehand, and that was when he was offered the role and he, he took it straight away. Uh, it was actually uh, directed by Richard Donner. Um, so there was a, a big like grouping of people, Richard Donner, Lauren Shula Donner, and, and Singer kind of kind of brought him on board fairly early. Um, the, the big one was Wolverine. Um, and he went through a couple of different actors, and, and Hugh Jackman was only cast, in fact, it was two, three weeks into filming. They'd already started before Hugh Jackman came in. Hugh Jackman at the, the most, time hadn't the, had any the, roles in Hollywood. It's like, it's the last minute casting that always turns out to be the best as Look well. Look at Aragorn in Lord of the Rings. Exactly, yeah. They'd already filmed for about four weeks before... They brought him in. They actually sacked the guy that was in charge. They had that was in in the role. They had Stuart Townsend as as Aragorn. Um, so this is very similar. The, originally um, in the nineties, Glenn Danzig was approached to play him um, as he looked like him, and he was about the same height. Um, but he declined the fact that he was he was on tour with his band, um, and it would have halted his his tour for nine months. So he kind of he, he turned it down fairly early. Um, Brian Singer's first choice was actually Russell Crowe. He's the being good. But he turned it down. Uh, but he rec- actually recommended Hugh Jackman for the role. But they didn't go to Hugh Jackman straight away. They actually cast Dougray Scott. Um, oh, that, I vaguely remember that, yeah. And sadly, he had to pull out because he was filming Mission Impossible 2. Mm. Um, in a similar fashion to what happened with Henry Cavill. Filming the current Mission Impossible was struggling to, to find time to fit in Mus- the reshoot. Mustache Impossible. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so it seems like Mission Impossible does cause problems for a lot of films. Um, Indeed. And as I said, it was like, it was three weeks into filming before they actually brought Hugh Jackman in. Um, no one knew who he Thank was. Thank goodness he did. Yep, he'd been on Broadway, mm. um, but it was fairly unknown TV and film-wise. He hadn't done a lot at that point. Um but, look, again, look at what happened. How many years? 20, 28 years? And there and the will never be well, another. 18 years, basically. sorry. Yeah. 18 years, isn't it? 18, 18 years, years yeah. yeah. He's, he's actually been Wolverine as long as I've been alive. Yeah. Wow. No way. Yeah. Blimey. I am this, I am the same age as Hugh Jackman's acting career. <laughs> well, he's his, his, pro, his proper acting career, anyway. I don't recall him from anything before X-Men, I must admit. No, mm-hmm. and uh, the, the only film that came fairly short, shortly afterwards, that was Swordfish. Um, oh, yeah. With John yeah. Travolta and Halle Berry. Mm. Um, so he worked with her a couple of times in, in close succession. So the filming began in um, mid-1999. It was originally set for a Christmas 2000 release. But Fox actually moved it. Steven Spielberg was due to, to film Binority Report for June 2000. That was when it was due uh-huh. to come out. But he actually chose AI to film first. 
And it, it course, seems, yeah, that's right. seems similar to what's happening with him at the moment. He's having to choose a couple of, between a couple of firms. Like, uh, it's been rumoured that he was doing West Side Story or Indiana Jones. Um, and it seems like he's picked Indy first. So it, it seems to happen quite regularly for Steven Spielberg that he gets a couple of films that are ready to go and has to pick mm. between them. Um, so after that, they actually pulled the, the release date forward for X-Men to a summer release of, uh, of June 14th. So it was pulled forward a good five months. So they actually moved... Uh, filming was a bit later than they originally planned, despite the fact that they pulled the, the film release forward. So they didn't start until September 99 um, and didn't finish until March 2000. So they only had a, 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 about four months. When you consider how long films now take in pre-production, some films take a year to get done at that kind of level, especially special effects and stuff like that, that was a fairly quick turnaround for a film like that. Not that. So, which is, you got to give them their dues. Um, so the film was, was done, it was released on time, it actually premiered on Ellis Island in New York. Uh, two days before mm-hmm. its, its official release date. I think not. Yep. So it, it premiered there two days before it actually came out. It, it was released on that July 14th date that they'd given it. Um, it had a budget of $75 million. And in, in the end, it took $296.3 million worldwide. So at, at that point, that was a huge amount for, for something that people didn't really know a lot about mm. comic book films basically people knew kind of superman and the the ac's batman and other than that there wasn't a big box office film that was a comic book no i must admit i knew very little about it i remember going to see it with a mate of mine i didn't know much about it It was just the marketing really dragged us it pulled us into seeing it and the trailers and the cast and i come out of it been really wowed by it, I remember, and really enjoyed it at the time. Yeah. But I didn't go into it knowing much about it, I must admit. Craig, did you see it early on, or is it um, is something you've seen later in later years? I vaguely, I might have got it out of Video City 2000 um, back in the day, when it was on video for the first time, or DVD. I've got very little, little recollection of it. Um However, recently I've been lucky enough to watch them all, all ten <laughs> X-Men films back to back, basically. And I've got a new appreciation for it because of that. And, and Josh, what kind of age were you when you saw this, this first X-Men film? Because obviously, as you've said, you were, you were born that year. It yeah. came out. Well, no, I was born, I was born the year it went into production, 99. But, um, like, I mean, obviously didn't go and see it. I was like a little babby when uh, it come out. But um, imagine me sat in the bloody theatre watching Hugh Jackman with his huge claws and at the age of like three months. But um, I'm trying. To, I, Must I, have I, I, telly I, or something. I know exactly how I saw it the first time, and it's gonna blow your mind. And it's gonna be like it's gonna go back to some nostalgia. Um, I actually got it out as a video from Blockbuster. Wow. <laughs> when I was, what was I, about eight, something like that. And yeah, the Blockbuster thing... was posh, I got it out of Video City 2000. 
Oh, that was back when Labour was in power, and we could have fucking afford to, that's why. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just a political joke there. Um, but the thing was, when I first watched it, I watched it obviously as a kid, so the reason I loved it was because, oh, superheroes, superpowers, laser eyes, um, controlling the weather, moving shit with your mind, that's why I liked it. And then I got into my teens and watched it again, because my dad got the quadrilogy on Blu-ray. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. And uh, I watched it as them, and I thought, you know what? These haven't aged well. And then, and then, I watched them again as as the adults that I am today. And I thought, you know what? They're freaking brilliant because I get all the adult jokes, I get all the little stupid jokes, and I get the comic book knowledge as well because I think that's what this film is. If you didn't really go into it with a lot of comic book knowledge. You wouldn't understand a bit of it, but you'd like it for the action and the the powers and stuff. Mm. But it, it, I was just uh, probably jumping ahead a little bit onto the plot slightly. But I mean, you do get that nice that that prologue, which sort of drags people like myself into the story. Yeah, and sort of and yeah. sets up the whole magneto thing or magneto thing early on. Yeah, and, and I, did, I did like that, and I kind of thought when I watched that scene again on uh, last night, it was I watched the entire film again last night. And I thought, you know what, there's a real good comparison you can make of Professor X and Magneto to Martin Luther King and to a degree Malcolm X. Because mm. you think about it, Martin Luther King wanted harmony between uh, black and white yeah. people. In the, yeah, different me- means yeah. to get there, yeah. Exactly. That's why I thought mm, interesting. it just speaks volumes. And that's why at the time when the X-Men comics come out, Stan Lee and all the people at Marvel are trying to say something about the civil rights movement, and rather than actually make it about black people, mm. people trying to get equal rights and stuff, they thought, you know what, we put a superpower twist on it, and that's why yeah. they came around. And I love that idea, and I only clocked onto it a couple of years ago, and I thought, you know what, that's off to them, that's a great idea. <laughs> for, for myself, the first time I saw it, I remember seeing it, it must have been on DVD. Um, my brother, as I've, I've mentioned, was a, a comic book collector at the time, um, and he must have must have brought it home, either from Blockbuster or or somewhere. Um, and I remember I used to just go in his room. I was only what mid-teens at the time. I used to just wander in his room while he was watching something on the telly. Um, and I remember going in, and and I must it must have been. I must have gone. Oh look, it's. <laughs> well, <laughs> going no, into I the was, little box I, under the bed and I was going to say nudie ladies. I was going to say Jean Luc Picard. Um, <laughs> Whatever well, floats his boat. Yeah, and I was going to. I was like, oh, that's that's the guy from from Star Trek. Wonder what this is about. <laughs> and and I didn't know huge amounts about comic books at that time. We're talking, yeah, probably it's what eighteen years ago. So yeah, yeah, I, was, yeah I was 16. So I was I was just finishing school. So so yeah, I didn't know huge amounts about it. Comic books had kind of disappeared at that that age. You, yeah, because at that time, it. comic books were considered sort of uncool, weren't yeah. they? Um, so like I, nowadays, they've really come back. Yeah, I kind of read some Batman as I was when I was younger. Batman, Robin, that sort of those sort of comics. But the Marvel stuff had. Obviously, with them struggling for money and, and things yeah. like that, it kind of disappeared. 
Um, so it was kind of my first introduction, and and as you say that that first scene in the concentration camp, I think just sets up not what you'd expect from a from a comic book film. Yeah. Um, and then that that It'll first show of his, yeah that first show of his powers. Um, it's just a, a really great introduction to to that that universe. Um, and then uh, let's talk about Tony. You've you've mentioned some of the plot, the the, the whole mutant registration act, and and it being um, it's something that we've seen in in later Marvel movies as well. Um, recently in Civil War, we've we've seen something very similar. Um, but back then it was it was something new. Um, a lot of the time it was just operating characters just as a superhero. There was no inner conflict of any kind or or anything like that. So this introduced something new that that we hadn't seen, and it just it really gave a, a well rounded story. And and um, the couple of the actors, I I was a huge fan of Bruce Davis, Davison anyway. Um, having seen him in Harry and the Hendersons, playing the the dad, um, so that kind of stood out for me. Um, and there wasn't really many other people. We we knew Ray Park obviously at that point. Oh. Um, he'd been in. Oh, I'm back. Sorry, gents. <laughs> Dropped out then. Um, we knew Ray Park from Star Wars. At that point, yeah. he'd been in in the first Star Wars as as Darth Maul, um, and. And Patrick Stewart and, and Halle Berry were kind of on their way up. Famke Janssen as well. Um, a couple of the others weren't so well known. Rebecca Roman Stamos, I think, was more known for, for being married to John Stamos at that point. Um, but it was just a really well-rounded cast uh, yeah. that sold the story. It, it was like one of the original sort of all-star casts sort of thing. Like, you, when you went to a film and thought, right, I know him from that, 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 I know him from that. It was one of, one of those films when you sat down and you, you knew the actors and things they'd done already. And they were big names. Yeah. So, we also, it was our first time we ever see the, the Xavier School for, for the gifted. Um, which has, has been there for all the way through, even up to now. We're, we still see it in Deadpool. Um, and it hasn't really changed. It still looks exactly the same. They've, uh, they've never changed the design or anything. Everything still seems to be that really kind of typical American architecture, that, that gothic style that we've seen in, in the likes of Wayne Manor. Um, and obviously that that building's been used in in God knows how many other TV series and other films, um, but still it's still a really great kind of base for the story. What what I like about it is there's you're not getting all the backstory of everything. It's there, it's established. Mm. You get a little bit of backstory, but it doesn't. A lot of the, the first films of a franchise is building. That, how many times have we seen the Batman backstory? Yeah. Oh, you know no. what I mean? But this, that, that school's been here for years at this point. You know, you just know who they are. You get the, uh, the odd character that has a little bit of backstory, but do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, they don't just bombard you with stuff, yeah. 
yeah. I did like, I like that. that. Yeah. But, uh, and there was a lot of great characters as well that were that beside the kids were great. Anna Paquin in in the role of Rogue, it's probably her best performance in that role. Um, as it as it went further on, it kind of her her role faded out. Um, we know that mm. the last film she was she was completely written out in the end. She she filmed some of some of the stuff and was was cut out. And for me, this is it's it's very much Wolverine and Rogue story. Yeah, for a lot of it. Um, but then there's obviously, and this is a, a thread that goes through all the films, is is Charles and and um, Eric. Yeah. So it's really those two stories. The, the other characters are kind of byproducts of the story, and, and I think that works for it. Yeah. Um, that they don't co- try and concentrate on too many characters. Yeah. I mean, then then again, you can say like the. I felt personally when I was watching like the um, the sort of dynamic between Scott, Gene, and uh, Logan, it was a little bit forced because the only reason that they had Logan hitting on Gene was for the fact that it was in the comics. Yeah, that's the only reason that they did it. Mm. And then you had Scott saying to Logan, "Stay away from Miguel," but it sort of came across as a a masculine issue, and it was just really cliche, and I thought, is that really needed? Yeah. I don't know whether you guys agree, but though some of those moments, Logan comes across as a bit of a douche in that first film. He's, he's, he's on to Gene as soon as he sets eyes on her, regardless of the fact that she's already got somebody in her life. Uh, and to be yeah. fair, he, he is in the comics. He's an absolute dickhead. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, it kind of pays off, and I think I think we get flashes of that in other films. Obviously, in, in First Class, we get another flash of him being an absolute twat. Yeah, um, as we established at the start. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, uh, and I thought I'd, I'd tie that in. And there's other bits as well, obviously. We meet him in a couple of films when he's he's in bed with God knows who. Um, <laughs> and he is. He's lived he is. for over 200 years. He's got to have developed chlamydia at some point. Come on. <laughs> He probably has, but he probably healed in five seconds. So, mind you, there's one thing he wouldn't want to do. He's, he's sort of pleasure himself with those races. Oh Jesus! Maybe <laughs> like salami. <laughs> anyway, but I, I think we touched on the story, and and I think I want to touch on that before we kind of give our our own kind of wrap up on it. I want to touch on that final kind of climactic battle as we've, we've talked about on Ellis Island um, on the Statue of Liberty and uh, th- that for me is kind of the pinnacle of what kicked off the, the superhero genre is, is that a big battle on a, on a landmark yeah. Um, yeah whereas previously a lot of them have been in, in places we don't, that doesn't exist Whereas yeah, this we is can't actually, with. yeah, this is actually in our world. Yeah, um, we can we can kind of go, oh look, they're on the Statue of Liberty. Whereas previously, oh look, he's on Gotham Town Hall. Yeah, oh look, he's by a huge Coca Cola billboard in Times Square, which is actually <laughs> Metropolis. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh look, they're walking the Empire State Building down New York Street. <laughs> oh. <laughs> 
Thank you, Alan Wicker. <laughs> so you didn't happen to take any special herbs while you were on that fight yesterday, did you? He was going. He was cycling through Liverpool. <laughs> Um, so, so what was everybody else's thought on that that final battle? Um, I'll go first. Yeah, it's a really nice bit in there, actually. Yeah, I mean, I'll go, I'll go I first. like that little. Sorry, talking all over you. <laughs> no, there. no, go on. Carry on. I was just to say, I like the little moment where the use of um, of the heat ray from Cyclops is a nice little moment, and he tells him to sort of cover his eyes and then tosses the. The glasses, and then that's one of my favourite little bits in that climax. Yeah, and it, and it really did round out. There was a, a lot of characters in there. So, Craig, what what was your thoughts? When you say there's a lot of characters, there's never a lot of characters in any of these films. Civil War, as an example, mm. and I always reference this: the comic book. There's about two hundred superheroes in it. <laughs> in, in the X Men Grand Battle, you've got four or five characters each. Yeah, you know, and, and it takes place at the top of um, Statue of Liberty, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And everyone down below, all you can see is a few little beams of light going round, and a couple, you know, an explosion at the end. So yeah, it is epic, but as ever with all the comic book films, or some of them anyway, um, it wasn't as majestically epic as it could have been, if you know what I mean. Well, when you, when you say that, and yeah, they were probably they were practically starting from scratch with the comic book genre in general, of course, because of, course because of yeah. the downfall of the likes of Batman and Robin. I mean, even the Blade series. But you look, you look at um, Superman in the future when that gets made, and he basically destroys Metropolis. Yeah. You know, so that is in that respect, it's refreshing that it's not a world-ending catastrophe that yeah. is about to happen. You know, it's just a localised battle, very much like Civil War is. That's just mm. on an abandoned airport. This is, it takes place where there is a, if, it, if it's allowed to go through as planned, there would be catastrophic yeah. results. But it's not world ending. So I'm a bit torn. But yeah. it's, uh, it's hard to put it into words. Yeah. If you know what I mean. I mean, it- the thing is, I've always said to, like, mates and, I mean, my dad or whoever, I've always said, even though their budget wasn't massive for this film, hypothetically say their budget would have been massive if they'd have known how big it was going to be, I reckon if they'd have had more characters on both sides, in the Brotherhood and on the X-Men, fighting against each other, I reckon... That could have been more epic. That's that's where I agree with Craig. But I'd say for what they had to do with the money they had, I think they achieved quite a fair bit. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My my thoughts. Are, we've all said we've we've re- rewatched it recently, and for me, I it still holds up for me. Um, yeah, in fact, it's, some, it's yeah, better. Than, it's better than some of the more recent ones. Certainly mm-hmm. from, maybe not in the MCU, but some of the the ones outside, and even in the DC Extended Universe, I think it's been, oh, yeah, it's certainly been yeah. better than a couple of those. It's better than, definitely better than the Fantastic Four movies. It's better than some of the, the recent X-Men films, still. And the two Ghost Riders as well. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. 
So, so let's let's score it. We're, we'll do it on the the scale of Craig. Um, <laughs> everybody, score out of out of a hundred. Okay, I'll go first. I'm going to give it a seventy-six out of a hundred. Wow, that's quite low, actually. Mm. I'm surprised. That's you, Greg. I know, I know. I I actually think the X Men movies get better as you go on. Oh well, I'd agree with you there. X Two is yeah. a better film. But, oh yeah. Um, it's one of the few sequels that's better than the original. I would give it a. No, worse than 85, I'd probably say 90. Oh no, I'd go a bit, I'd go a little bit lower than that, maybe about, oh, 82? Yeah, well, so I say 85 would be probably my bottom out. Yeah, uh, yeah. and I'm, I'm gonna be kind of somewhere in between Craig and Josh. I think it's a, probably a 79, 80 for me. Yeah. Um, mm, interesting. Still very enjoyable. Just a little bit more than the rest of you in in the sense of engaging. I think it's an inferior film to X two. Yeah. Oh, gotcha. I mean, if I, I mean, I'm more using my five stars. I give the first one a four and the second one a four and a half yeah. for a comparison. Yeah. And then the third one about a th- two. Yeah. That's a rather apt number, actually, a number two. Yeah. <laughs> With so, a little bit of one drip dribbled all over it. <laughs> so. As we wrap up, thank you again, guys, for joining me this this time. We no, it's been a pleasure. We have <laughs> mentioned that we're we're going to be going fortnightly, but that's kind of been scrapped for for the next few weeks, probably the next couple of months, actually, um, when we're likely to actually be going weekly. Um, we we weren't expecting to record next week. But we're, we'll announce it now to, to our listeners. We've actually got a, an interview next week. Um, we've got the, the showrunner and one of the writers, uh, husband and wife team, um, from the animated X-Men series from, from the 90s, um, are going to come on. They, they've got a new book that's coming out that we're, we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about some of their other jobs um, and kind of concentrate on that, but that X-Men series from the 90s. So we're looking forward to that. It's, it's going to be great fun to, to have another interview after our, our great interview with Michael Nathanson from The Punisher. Um, we do, and, and on top of that, we're, we're going to record some some episode reviews for, for Jessica Jones. So that's, that's going to happen in, in about two weeks. We're going to record, record like 10, 15-minute episode reviews for each one and release one one every week um, up until when we get to, to Infinity War coming out. Um, we'll, we're, we'll release them once a week up until we get to, to our Infinity War review. And then if we've got any left over, we'll release them afterwards. Um, but, so you're going to have an episode every week for probably the next two months. Have you heard, have you um, how long Infinity War is going to be? Yes. Yes. Oh, two hours, two hours, 36 minutes. Oh, I'm not getting a large drink at that show. <laughs> Did you just squeal like a girl? Yeah. Yay! <laughs> and I also, getting a man for that. And also announced today, where our release date here in the UK has actually been pulled forward a day. Um, we're getting it on the 26th. So all that fuss that was made about us getting it the same day as the, the states after theirs got moved, we're not. We're still getting it a day early. Wait. <laughs> so Good saying that, that if you go and listen to Dis Down Under, they're getting it a day earlier than us. Uh, <laughs> 
Up they're the getting, Aussies. They're getting it on the 25th. Oh, so if you just mentioned briefly as well, we've had release date as well confirmed for Luke Cage whilst just before we've recorded yeah, yeah. this week. This, this summer, June the 22nd? Yep. Yeah. Something like that, I think, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and, and we are working hopefully for more cast members to, to come on the show. We're, we're working hard for that. So any help that you guys can give us, follow us on Facebook, like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram. Our Instagram's fairly regularly updated at the moment. Um, we're trying to keep that updated at least every couple of days now. Um, give us a review on whichever platform you listen to us on. We're on Apple, we're on Stitcher, we're on Spotify. Um, go and listen to us wherever and leave us a review. It, it really does help us be seen for, for everybody to listen to us, not just the guys that are listening to us at the moment. So on that note, I am going to wrap up. Um, thanks again, guys. Uh, and we will be back again next week for you. Good night. Bye. Back to Jonathan in the studio. <laughs> Wakanda forever. That was possible. This podcast is part of the After Dark Podcast. Oh.